Hello again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. Welcome to SLGND Playoff Style. It's the Sheriff Lawless and some guy named Dave podcast presented by the D Hotel. The Golden Knights own the Western Conference's number one seed thanks to a 3-0 round robin. Wins over Dallas, St. Louis, and Colorado. Alex stuck the overtime hero Saturday versus the Avs. And on to the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, a date with the Chicago Blackhawks, who started the qualifying round as the 12th seed. We go through it all. The Knights' approach to the 2020 postseason, how the Hawks defeated the Oilers, the expected return of Max Pacioretty, who starts in goal, and lots more. Gearing up for the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2020 here on SLGND. The Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast presented by the D Hotel. And now, here's Dave! All right, Dan Dua, thanks very much. As always, playoff edition of the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast. Hashtag SLGND. I am some guy named Dave. Dave Gosher along with Shane Knighty, Gary Lawless. And that uh, the dulcet tones you always hear at the start of every show of Dan Duba. So uh, great to have you with us and great to be talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs as the league moves ahead now to the round of 16 after uh, expanding, of course, to a round of 24 during the uh, pandemic. And uh, really some some uh, great series in that first round. Both 12 seeds advancing, Chicago in the West and, of course, Montreal in the East. But I wanted to kind of start it off, guys. And, uh, Shane, we'll start with you, the Golden Knights. Uh, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about this. The two hottest teams at the pause. In the West, it was Vegas. In the East, it was Philadelphia. Those two teams came back, didn't miss a beat. And they end up being the top seeds in their respective conferences. You know, Pete DeBoer mentioned last week, you don't have a chance very often to jump eight points in the standings in six days. That's exactly what the Golden Knights did. As you look at the round robin and them going a perfect 3-0, and what were some of the reasons and how were they able to do that? Well, this goes back to the commitment of the players. And the last time we all talked, this began well before they got to the tournament. This was a group of guys that recognized at the pause the, the opportunity that they didn't want to go to waste. And, you know, you're not knowing what would happen at that point. They made a commitment to stick together, to stay in Vegas. And when the chance came to get back to training, get back to on the ice, uh, they were, and we used the word, what do you want to call it, committed, dialed in. This team, we talked about all of that. They talked about it. Well, talking's one thing, but now they've went out and proved it. They've shown... Uh, uh, that they're, they were ready to go, and they were resilient. And that's, you know, you go to the exhibition, they didn't play well in the first game uh, against Dallas at all. As Pete DeBoer said, maybe the poorest 40 minutes he's seen. But I think that's a positive, is not only were they able to see, they were able to turn it around. So that, that shows, uh, you know, resilient, which is a word that uh, came up a lot when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals in year one. Uh, this is just a team effort. They're, they're, there's not many holes in the lineup. Um, they're mentally there. And that's, that's the biggest thing for me. Uh, when you're engaged mentally and you have the right mindset heading into a playoff atmosphere, uh, that is a big strength to have as a team and as an organization. Uh, and, and you could see that grow as they played their game. They wanted to get better, certainly did. Uh, that said, that's round robin. They, they'd be able to accomplish the first goal, getting the top seed. Now it's uh, moving onward against uh, a pretty... You know, surprising opponent that they've played well against in Chicago uh, in their history, but uh, all bets are off when it comes to to playoffs as we saw Chicago kind of upset the Edmonton Oilers. 
Yeah, the, the Golden Knights have dominated the Hawks all time. They've won eight out of nine, and we'll, we'll dive into that here a little bit deeper just to, in a minute or two. Lawman, the Golden Knights, you know, Pete DeBoer said he, he uh, what was the word? He hated their first two periods against Dallas. They managed to find a way to win that game with a strong third. They outscored their opponents 8-1 in the third period in the three games, but uh, certainly overall a balanced attack from this team. If you look up and down the lineup, you had 16 of 18 skaters that had at least a point in those three games in the round robin. Yeah, that to me is the thing that stands out the most, uh, the most sort of advantageous quality of this Golden Knights group. They can score, they can really generate offense, and they can defend. And... Uh, um, it looks like they have two really good goaltenders, too, as well. This team is built to win, and uh, they've got, you know, obviously they've got a lot of road ahead of them, but this they are for sure a very legit contender in the West. Dan, what impressed you the most about how they were able to beat three teams, really three different ways, you know, come from behind against Dallas, dominated most of the game against St. Louis, and then back and forth against Colorado, and, and Alex Tuck with the big overtime goal. Well, they just never found themselves um, out of it. And and a casual observer might think, all right, well, they didn't have their game. They kept finding ways. But let's be realistic. If you were to, and, and the, the folks in Vegas who put out the odds would bear this out. If you watched all of the games in the qualifying round, round robin and qualifying games inclusive, the, the Vegas Golden Knights have to be the favorite to go the distance. And I think a lot of people would have had them uh, in the top tier going into this, but based on the way they played and based on the way some other teams performed, you know, Boston Bruins going winless, you know, even the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, couldn't win their last game. Um, it's it, and I think what Shane said earlier, the the mindset, the approach to this was winning, not to take these games as a tune up, as a warm up, just to get going. In the long run, does it bear out? You know, have they, uh, have they has too much come out of the gas tank early? And are the Bruins then ready, you know, deeper in the playoffs? I have no idea. But based on what we've seen here, uh, I think that they did not take the, the foot off the gas at all. I think that uh, we have seen the further emergence of Mark Stone as the leader of this team. And Pete DeBoer, in one of our pregame conversations, compared him to Joe Pavelski. And uh, their leadership qualities, and we saw in that game with Dallas how those two players were trying to lead the way. And not just in their production, but in their emotional and psychological approach to all this. And I am no psychologist, but it seems to me that the the mindset of this group, whether it's from the head coach, from the, the leading player in Mark Stone, has the rest of the group doing the things that win and other teams don't embody all of those qualities Shane and I wanted to pick up on Dan's point as a former player there's no question that and they talked about this openly Pete DeBoer right on down the line they wanted to win the round robin now I think we all agree it's not the be-all end-all it's not like they're not going to get in the playoffs they were already in other teams it seems either they've not taken that approach or not everyone is on the same page in, in terms of the approach We've seen some good teams that, you know, Pittsburgh out. I know they were in the playing round, but they're out. Boston did not win a game. They haven't won a game since they came back, exhibition or or round robin. Uh, where do you fall on this? Can you can you ease into it and then flip the switch? Or is that easier said than done? It'll be interesting to watch. The big thing, I think, for the teams that have had success 
as they understood and learned how to play without fans quicker than the other teams. They, they got their game to an elite level uh, through their team. The only way to you know, find that momentum shift is on the bench, is through your guys, through that group. And I think it's a tough thing to switch when there's, you know, how do you, how do you garner momentum in a game with no fans? Well, it's through your play, a goal. We certainly saw that doubt. Mark Stone's goal completely flipped the momentum of that game. Uh, I think in Dallas, you saw momentum shifts. Uh, so, uh, and then being able to weather if it isn't going your way. Uh, you know, late goal against Colorado. They were able to wipe that away. And so the, those, those little details to the game that I think the, the teams that have won ha, have been able, you know, for Montreal, you think of those lower seeds. They go in, and we've seen this mentality, nothing to lose. The pressure was on the Edmonton Oilers. The pressure was on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, the pressure was on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, those teams go in and they just play. And uh, I think the ups and downs are much greater. You have to manage. You really have to manage that. There's a lot more to just playing to get to your top level. Uh, I think the mental side, when John Tortorella talked about it, actually, I believe after the game, how big the mental side of the game is right now in this situation and the way they're playing playoffs. Well, you look at Columbus and they had that big collapse in game four. They were able to flush it, come right back and win game five and knock out the Leafs. So you've got some you've got some good teams that are out. But, you know, if you look at the Western Conference, the Golden Knights had a terrific game against Colorado the other day. Really, the the two teams that have, I think, performed the best so far in, in the round robin games. St. Louis still trying to figure it out. Dallas needed a late goal to come back and beat St. Louis um, yesterday uh, in the shootout. So uh, the Golden Knights have put themselves in a great spot. Lawman, the, the goaltending situation has been talked about a lot, but now here we are on the eve of the playoffs. They've never had a, a, a goaltender until this year other than Marc-Andre Fleury play a playoff game for them. That has changed quite obviously now with the addition of Robin Leonard. What do you make of the goaltending situation as they get set for game one against Chicago? Well, there's going to be a lot of noise about who the game one starter is. And for me, it's a little bit of a non-story because both goalies are going to play and both goalies are going to play this week. They got a back-to-back Saturday, Sunday. The same guy isn't playing in both those games. So, um, and we don't know what DeBoer has planned yet. Uh, it, it, whether or not he's going to go with one guy or if he's going to go uh, straight rotation. This will be... Um, that to me is kind of the really interesting story. Who plays in game one is, um, you know, I think Robin Leonard was better in the, in the round robin game. So maybe you play him or maybe the other, the other school of thought is, is Flurry, Flurry needs a little more action to get his game dialed in. We, we know it, it takes him a little while to get really comfortable. So, uh, they both have only played two games in the last four and a half plus months. So that, um, that storyline is 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 interesting. Not who plays in game one, but how he how he breaks how he breaks things up after game one. That's the big story for me. Dubes, how about Robin Leonard? What was his tweet? Uh, awkward, awkward. awkward. Uh, <laughs> you know, in a, in a normal situation in the normal world, and we're far from it here in 2020. You would never, there was not going to be a scenario in which he was going to face his old team, the Hawks, in the playoffs, right? Now, that's why they traded him. That's why they traded him. They're in sell mode, and, and he moves on. Um, but it'll be, um, 
you know, to be able to see that matchup and, and let's say it's as early as, as game number one, uh, you know, against a team that he knows real well. Um, but he, he's been, ter- but he's still knock on wood and I'm tapping myself on the side of the skull. Perfect so far, right? As a member of the VGK, 5-0, and 3-0 in the regular year, 2-0 in the playoffs. Um, a trade that really, when you look at how everything is unfolded in our world and in the NHL, is has whatever the future might hold has already paid good dividends for this team. I was interested in Jeremy Colladin's extremely dispassionate comments about Robin Leonard. Said it was good while he was here. We're not and and completely put it aside. Did not want to talk about Robin Leonard. I think that the guys who were his teammates and heard Dylan Strome talking about how uh, you know what a good teammate he was and and an important part of the team he was. And, and I I did talk about this after the game the other day. You know when you are a player going up against your old club and. You want to win even more to, to beat the team that didn't keep you for whatever reason and how that affects Robin Leonard in particular. So, Shane, I'll put it to you. When you go up against a former club, you want to win the game. Is that always a good thing or do you grip your stick and does it, you know, shoot, do you shoot yourself in the foot as a result or does it, in your experience, turn out to be a better thing? I think it's a better. Anytime you can pull motivation for whatever factor it is or extra motivation, I think that's always a benefit to not only to the individual, but to his team. So, uh, yeah, Robin Leonard, and it's not about, you know, you're not mad at anybody. You're just, uh, that team, uh, they, they moved me along. And, and we know Robin Leonard has been very outspoken about wanting a contract uh, in Chicago. I think he handled it really well, but they didn't give it. So you always want to prove those people wrong. And I think that's a pretty good driving force to have as a goaltender. And when you talk about the contracts, he's pointed this out. He signed three consecutive three-year contracts, Buffalo, Islanders, Blackhawks, and then, of course, was traded to the Golden Knights. So while there's something to show to the Blackhawks, I think that the, he knows the, eye, the eyeballs are on him, not only in Vegas and Chicago, but general managers around the NHL, knowing that the salary cap will remain where it is, that uh, you know the, the dollars are going to be at a premium, but that he is deserving of a number one job somewhere, um, or at the very least, a contract that that is more commensurate with his performance. Now, five million dollar one year deal with Chicago this year, but with the Islanders, what a steal! One point five million last year, and that was the the lone postseason that he had experience in. And that's where it's a little bit interesting for me when we talk about the goalies. You know, Robin Leonard won a Calder Cup way back in 2011 in Binghamton, New York. Meanwhile, Marc-Andre Fleury has been to the Stanley Cup final five times. His team's having won a few of them. So that, I wonder, uh, you know, how that plays out will be interesting. But we had talked about it before each game, Dave, um, which goalie's going to start. And it has been a straight rotation. There's been no deviation from that. Uh, so if, it, if it's Fleury... It wouldn't surprise me for that reason. But if it's Leonard, it wouldn't surprise me either, simply because of how well he played in the last game and Fleury did not seem at his best. So whoever starts game one, I think Gary's uh, you know, on point there. It won't surprise me either way. What's more interesting is how it unfolds as the series unfolds. The Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Dave podcast brought to you by the D Hotel, the official downtown hotel of the Vegas Golden Knights. Fellas, impact in the round robin and hopefully more impact moving forward. A couple of guys I wanted to look at will go maybe a peak backwards before a peak forwards. The impact of Alex Tuck in that series, two goals against the Blues, the overtime winner against Colorado. 
and Lawman, we can maybe come to you first with this. It's been a lost season for him, right? Three different injuries. He's missed a lot of time. Pete DeBoer told him, though, I guess before the round robin, nobody, if you have a great playoff, people are going to forget about the regular season. So far, short sample size, we've seen what an impact and what a difference maker he can be. Yeah, I think there's another thing at play here. First, I think health is number one. The other thing, there is nothing on Alex Tuck's mind but hockey. There is, and you, young players have to figure out how to be pros when they, when they get handed a ton of money. Uh, and that, that's the wrong way to say it. But when they sign a big money contract, which Alex Tuck has, there are other things that come along with that. And Vegas is, hey, it's, it's a busy city. There's lots to do here. There's lots to be involved with. And at the bubble, it, it's hockey. It is 24-7. And I think uh, this is going to be a great learning step for Alex Tuck because he'll be able, at the end of this, to, to look back and say, huh, when all I did was worry about hockey, I really played great. And uh, Shane can talk about this better than me, but all the other things that happen to you in your life, they all come from hockey. Hockey's got to be first. The other stuff is secondary. And right now, hockey's primary for Alex Tuck, and he looks like a world beater. Looks like he's pretty dialed in right now, Sheriff. Oh, I think that uh, excellent point by Gary is, yeah, there's the, all distractions uh, uh, are gone. And uh, that there's a, the other thing for me is how do you get confidence? I think that goal in the exhibition game may have been more valuable to Alex Tuck than anybody else to get that feel, to get a little bit of his scoring touch, that uh, confidence before heading into the round-robin play. Um, he, he, he's skating. He's playing more straight lines, which he needs to do. He's getting to the inside. Uh, you know, he's not going to be an effective player if he's, if he's perimeter so, or if he's looping. And uh, when he plays straight lines, he's got so much speed. So he's so hard to contain. Uh, we, we, know, we know the skill set, the size, everything is all there. And when it's utilized the proper way, he is a very, very effective player. And that's what we've seen. And it's, uh, it bodes well for Golden Knights as a team when you, when you have a third-line guy like that skating and playing the way he is. And uh, it's good to see. And it's what we talked about in the opening. They all seem ready to go. It is, it, this has been a team that, to me, they have been, their focus has been on this since phase one. Shane, you said confidence. I think that's a big part of it for Alex. Not only that exhibition goal, not only the impressive goal that he scores to win the game the other day, in the period of time that there was no hockey, guys are sitting there, what are you doing? Alex Tuck made it a point to lose 10 pounds. And whether that is a uh, makes a physical impact, maybe it does. Ryan Reeves has talked in great detail about he knows if he's two pounds over, two pounds below the weight he wants to be. And Alex told me, you know, when we talked to him on the pregame show last week, he really does feel the difference. So maybe that's true. But at the very least, I think that for a young player with the confidence that you talk about, that he made that kind of physical commitment and succeeded in doing something while there was no hockey. I would imagine you get some confidence from that when you make a transformation to your body in that way, you know. I don't know about you, but I mean, if I lost a few pounds, I would feel great. <laughs> so it's kind of I said, feel Dan, I don't know a lot stuff. of people that lost ten pounds during the during that's the, what I'm, the court. But it, it, it's true. Like players yeah. now, you you want them to feel good, look good, feel good, play good. 
Yeah, and 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 do what he does. It, it so it's just a, a bubbling here for Alex Tuck. And the other guy I wanted to touch on, fellas, was somebody that was not available uh, to them in, in the round robin, and that's their top scorer in Max Pacioretty. Uh, they had not been healthy at, up front all year, and that that theme carried out again, even after the resumption of play, where Pacioretty wasn't able to join them until recently, up in the bubble. Um, what that means to th- this is a team that that got along fine without, you know, in a short sample size in the round robin, but now Sheriff to add him and to what, you know, was a potent line at the pause with him along with, with William Carlson and Mark Stone. Boy, it's uh, hard not to think about what they might be able to produce here once they get going against Chicago. Well, it's always exciting when you, you add a player like Max Pacioretty, but that said, uh, boy, do I like Chandler Stevenson. Wow. So it's, do you know what, do you want to keep Pacioretty out? No, I don't, but I'm just saying Chandler Stevenson, you know, you watch him play his speed, his strength, uh, wherever you need him. You you plug him in wherever you're getting the same. He's going to be effective regardless if he's on line one, two, three. You won't see him on the fourth, possibly, but uh, if center, wing, uh, shorthand, I just, uh, you know, it just shows to me his strength, how much he's grown as a player and uh, what a pickup that is like their other ones. But, yeah, you want to bring Patch Reddy back. This is, uh, you know, that was the excitement going in. Pretty much we were watching the last phase before they're heading to the bubble, and all of a sudden we're, like, finally going to see a healthy lineup. Well, that didn't happen, but uh, no better time than round one as they get set for Chicago to see uh, see all hands on deck. Great opportunity for Patch Reddy here too, Gary, where – you, know, you think back to the playoffs last year, and I know at the time it was Pacioretty, Stone, and Stastny that were fantastic, especially early in that series against San Jose. But you know, from a pure sniper goal scoring standpoint, uh, he's among the best in the league. And what a you know what a what a boost a boost he should give to that lineup. Well, first of all, he's going to help the power play right off the bat. You know, there were a couple of situations in the in the round robin where uh, another guy got the shot that normally would have been Max Pacioretty's shot, and yet, and you just came away thinking that would have been in the back of the net if it was coming off a sixty-seven stick. And then, listen, we saw it that they had instant chemistry, Carlson, Stone, and Pacioretty, and they they are going to be an elite line. In these playoffs, uh, it, they are, and that's the one thing with Stevenson up there. It strengthens the, one, the whole lineup. It does, and it you know all of a sudden that third line because of how great Stevenson is, you're going to have another really cool boost on that third line, and they were good, um, but they're going to be even better. And I guess the other factor too, uh, and DeBoer hinted at this in his availab- availability on Sunday. Uh, he was asked about goaltending and, you know, the fact they were going to have a back-to-back this week. And he said, hey, it's great to have uh, options everywhere in those back-to-back situations. So Nosek has played. I'm, you know, if, if if we go by form, Cousins will go to the fourth line at center and Nosek will come out. But then on the weekend, if you go in a back-to-back situation and you decide you need to use Nosek, he's played three games. He's not going to be... He, he won't have that ring rust. So there's a pot. There's from every negative, you can get a positive, but the return of Pacioretty really strengthens Vegas. And I just wanted to add to that, Gary, you mentioned how Pacioretty's return would impact the power play. Will Carlson had bumped up from unit two to unit one in Pacioretty's spot. So theoretically, Pacioretty goes back in. 
So you've got an even stronger first unit, but Carlson is then on the second unit. Now, all of a sudden, your second unit is pretty gosh darn good. And no disrespect to Nick Cousins, but he's not Will Carlson. Now, if you take Tomasz Nosek out, Nosek's been a pretty strong penalty killer. They've got a number of guys who can kill penalties. But I think that when you're talking about how special teams shakes out, they're, they're, you read deeper into not just the return of Pacioretty, but, you know, the cascade effect throughout the lineup in, in the second unit or the second penalty kill group. How do the, how do the lines shake out in the bottom six? <laughs> yeah. let's, let's have a little fun here. Yeah. I, 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 I put Wah between Reeves and Carrier. Stevenson, Tuck, and Cousins. Because Nick Cousins has showed us some, you know, I think Nick Wah is going to be the same thing, but a little more experience with Nick Cousins, showing some real good offensive abilities. It's an interesting. I don't think you can go wrong either way, but there's certainly some options. Well, I like that, Shane, because I think Cousins is a better winger than he is a yes. center. And why is a better center than Cousins is a center. So I do really like that. Although uh, there were a couple of times when Tuck and Wah would get the puck below, below, below the goal line and they're two huge men. They, they were able to pitch a tent down there and, and that wears people out. So there's lots of different looks, but I, I, I never thought of that. That's a really good, that's a Chandler really Stevenson's pretty strong down low yep, too. So. For sure. It's, yep. a, yeah, yeah. it's an interesting thought. I just, I just literally thought of it. I know some things and, come to my mind. And, and you think, yeah, and I've, I've liked Alex Tuck and Nick Watt together, both six foot four, like you guys describe. I wonder Thinking like a, a baseball manager, you, you you get the guys to the top of the line if you want multiple at bats. And I wonder, you know, the third line is going to get more minutes than the fourth line. And so just from that aspect, okay, who's going to get an extra shift? You know, do you want, you know, that to be Cousins and Stevenson there? You, you know, I, so it's very interesting, you know, just from that, that, that side of it too. What Dave? do you think, Dave? Yeah, I agree. I, I like the switch, Shane. I, I think here's the thing. Their ability to be able to juggle guys, you know, because you've got some moving parts right on, the, on that bottom six. I mean, not not totally moving parts. You know, Tuck's going to be on that third line somewhere. But, yeah, I mean, w- why not, right? I, I think their ability to to have guys play multiple positions. I mean, they're a center-heavy team as it is. I mean, Cousins can play center. Stevenson can play center. Waugh can play center. In addition to all the other centers they have. Is it – let me ask you this, Shane, to kind of – Pivot off that. Is it matchup dependent to a degree? It could because they talk about center heavy, but they only have one right-handed center. Yeah, and that's Nick Waugh. Nick Waugh. So, yeah. Yeah. And then there's the face-off be side of things, too. I mean, like of all those guys, like Tomas Nosek's no the only guy who's taken a, lot of, taken a lot of face-offs. You know, I mean, Cousins doesn't take a lot of face-offs, and, and in the one season where he did take a lot last year, the numbers were not great. So, like, there's another wrinkle into it, you know, and you want to have somebody, especially if it's a D-zone draw after an icing, that you can trust to win a face-off. Well, and this brings us to, for me, one of DeBoer's strengths, Strengths as a coach, and I think I think Steve Spot and Ryan Craig are really involved in this as well. Against Dallas, when things weren't going well, he jumbled his lines, and he will coach to the situation. And Spot is a master at that. He's a big face-off guy. He studies it. He has. Uh, I know that when they have an important draw, there is 
spot behind who's out there, what they're going to do if they get the puck, what they're going to do if they don't get the puck, and spot is in charge of a lot of that. Maybe they do a bunch of different, uh, uh, they do different looks at different times within a same game. Uh, Pete DeBoer is not going to just, because he started a game with four line combinations, he's not going to finish a game with those same combinations just because that's the way he started. He'll adapt and he'll adjust. Well, and that's the depth. You look at that, we're going to, and I imagine we'll look at Chicago. Well, you got the Taves line and you got this Kirby Dock line playing with Kane and Debrinkit. Well, Carlson and Stastny. Then who's going to match up that third? And then that fourth line is big and powerful. It's uh, This is where the Golden Knights really, and Gary, you talked about it, that, that depth in playoffs is, uh, you know, that third line matchup, it's going to be uh, in the Golden Knights' favor. Taves was a monster in the dot against the Oilers. He won a ton of draws. And they got they got offense from it. He was uh, that'll be Stastny, I would bet. A couple of veterans. Yeah, yeah. Stastny took twenty one faceoffs against Colorado the other day. He won thirteen out of the twenty one. So that's still you know that's like sixty two percent. Yeah, that's great. But that's yeah. a ton of faceoffs just yeah. for one guy in a single game. Uh, obviously went to overtime, but still. And Nosik won four out of five in that game. Interesting stuff. This, Shane, the the matchup itself. Uh, Chicago, again, we're going to be in the playoffs. They're here now because of the deal in our world, and they knock out the uh, the fifth seed in Edmonton. Um, Stanley Cup pedigree, but that's a while ago now, right? But you still have some people from it with Kane and Taves and Keith. Absolutely. Crawford and Nett with two, for the, two of those cups. Uh, and, and it seems like, and Gary made the, you know, the point earlier, this pause, I mean, benefited them potentially the most, and especially the core, the, the older core of that team that's been through these playoff battles. But what's the challenge against the Oilers? you got to shut down two guys, well, maybe two lines. Yeah. Then what? You know, and then... And not Chicago great defending, is as good right? as anybody in their top six. You yeah. look at their guys, the experience they have. Uh, that Kubalik, the, the rookies, him and Kirby Doc, that's probably the two biggest additions with that veteran group they have. I think Duncan Keith looks really good. The break certainly benefited him uh, defensively. Uh, and they've got, they've got some young pieces, but uh, the Oilers are a different team when you look at it as a matchup. And, and it's no easy task to shut down two of the best players in the world in Dreisaitl and McDavid. And, but if you can stay out of the box and keep those guys quiet, there wasn't much else pushed from the Oilers anywhere else in that lineup. And that's not the Golden Knights. They're, they're a team uh, that can score on all four lines. And uh, the, the matchup's going to be really intriguing. And, you know, if the Golden Knights play the way they can, that's where they're able to take advantage of Chicago. Managing, of course, you know, Patrick Kane's all-world. Jonathan Taves knows how to win better than anybody uh, on those two lines. But you look below that, there, there's some holes there for Vegas to take advantage of. Uh, Kirby what Doc. do you make of it, Lawman? Well, I just want to talk, touch on Kirby Doc because uh, I watched Chicago and Edmonton play with Shane, and early in the game, Shane started pointing at Doc and he was like working me over. At every break, he was like, look what Doc did there. Look what he did there. Look what he did there. Well, he played up this year has like an underage, underage. He, He's like, 19. He, 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 yeah, and... Uh, you know, he could play next year. He'll be 19 for a good chunk of next year as well. So, he, but he got bigger and stronger and more confident during the break, just like White Cloud uh, in, in Vegas has. 
And you go back to that draft, the 2019 entry draft, Kirby Dock is going to be the best player to come out of that draft. Uh, Jack Hughes is a nice player in New Jersey, and I like Capo Caco in, for the Rangers, but Kirby Dock, this guy is just going to get better and better and better. He is an X factor for Chicago. Size, right? Range, ability, shape, like oh, he's, he was he like. was leading them in minutes. He's playing yes. like both roles, shut uh, forward, shut down. Like he's a big guy, he's a smart player. Yeah, he, he very impressive. Like I said, Gary and I watched the one game. I watched that whole series. I was just intrigued by it because it was it was offense aplenty. Which who doesn't enjoy that? Dan, how do you see it? I always think about the uh, the newer pieces, and, and while we talk about some of the new pieces for the Blackhawks in terms of skaters, how about their head coach? You know, Jeremy Colladin is one of the youngest coaches in the National Hockey League. He, you know, takes over last year, middle of the season, coming up from the American League, and he's got players on the team who are older than he is. Duncan Keith is older than Jeremy Colladin versus Pete DeBoer, and, and Gary kind of broke down some of the stuff that Steve Spott does, and we know Ryan McGill and Ryan Craig. You know, it, it, it to me, when you look at how the Golden Knights coaching staff is structured, uh, the experience there versus, uh, you know, the, let's face it, when you make that kind of a coaching change and you bring in a Jeremy Colladin promoting from the American League, that to me signals more of a rebuild than, hey, we've got to go win a championship. So to be thrust into this scenario, these are the first playoff games Jeremy Colladin has coached and how he responds, how he, um, you know, imprints his club, the identity of that Blackhawks team that, you know, the Blackhawks have an identity that we've established. They've won Stanley Cups with several of these guys. Colladin was not a part of that at all. You know, Colladin was playing in the American League when these guys were winning Stanley Cups. So it's just an interesting dichotomy there. And I'll be curious to see the chess match between Pete DeBoer and Jeremy Colladin. Well, and you think about it, there was a lot of talk earlier this season that uh, they wanted to fire Jeremy Colleton. Right. That uh, Stan Bowman had decided that he'd, you know, uh, and, and, you know, Stan has never confirmed any of this. This is These are media reports, but that Stan decided that Colleton wasn't the right guy. He wanted to go another way. Ownership told him no. He had to stick with Colleton uh, a little longer and uh, for, for maybe for financial reasons more than anything else. Um, and they, they did. And it looks like uh, the pause to your to your point, Dan, has given. I watched Carlton get interviewed the other day. He's always been confident. He had a little bit of a more edge to him, a little more. Just a, he was a little more assertive in one of his interviews recently, and I just kind of he looked like a different guy to me. And uh, if listen, if Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith decide that they're buying in and they're going to listen. And they're gonna they're gonna do what Jeremy Colton wants them to do. You're gonna have complete buy-in in the franchise. And, and let me put it to you this way, Gary. And there's I have no no way of backing this up. It's just my impression. If I were a Golden Knights fan, I would be more afraid of the Chicago Blackhawks if Joel Quinville was the head coach still versus Jeremy Colton. Again, I have no reason for that. That's just a gut feeling as we look at how this series is gonna. Going to go uh, get get started. The Sheriff Lawless, some guy named Day podcast brought to you by Finley Automotive, the great people at Finley, Acura, Jaguar, Lincoln, and Chevrolet. All right, guys, I want a quick little look around other series, but I want to phrase it more this way. Shane, we'll, we'll start with you first. 
of the teams, a team in the East and the West that you think might be in the most trouble, the most peril that could get bounced early, earlier than most would think they would. Any, any, who comes to mind when Tampa you kind of Bay run through? Tampa Bay Lightning, unfortunately. Yeah. Sam goes out. Uh, we're waiting to hear about Hedman. Uh, I didn't look good for Hedman. And who are they meeting? Like, I know they're, they'll be fired up to play the Blue Jackets after what happened last year, but this Columbus team just unfazed. You know, they just go about their business. They expect to always be the underdog. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you can put the Bruins in there too. They have, you know, this Car- playing Carolina. Those, there's, some, there's some teams you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you really don't. Um, in the in the West, I just don't think Dallas has it. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, playing the Flames, who finally you know won around. Uh, they need their top guys to. They they seemed a little more depth uh, in in Calgary to take. You know, they had certainly they had some luck on their side against the Winnipeg Jets and the Jets losing two of their top players uh, to unfortunate injuries. But uh, I see Dallas. Uh, Tampa, Tampa's the team. Uh, a little concerned with those injuries. We'll see how serious it is. But you lose a guy like Victor Hedman. That, that is that is massive. A perennial, you know, Norris Trophy candidate winner. Uh, Vasilevsky could save them. There's going to be some more surprise. That's why I love this. We've already seen some, and we're going to see more. Yeah, Stan, I think Coach hasn't about, played right uh, since the end of February, Dan. Yeah, yeah and, and it, they kept saying, oh, he's, he's close, he's going to return, and they just keep putting it off. But I think you're right with, with Hedman, Shane, because they have so much firepower there that they seem to make up for Stamco's absence. Now, Hedman contributes offensively too, but what he provides on the back end, and you talk about Vasilevsky, and yeah, I mean, if you had to pick based on goalies, Vasilevsky or Corpusalo, that's an easy one. But if you don't have... Like you say, a Norris candidate like Victor Hedman there, who does so much at both ends of the ice, I think that is the bigger, you know, detracting factor for the Lightning, even more so than for Stamkos. Who do you come down on, uh, Dan, real quick in the West, uh, a team that you think, boy, they just might not be able to to get there? A team you'd expect to maybe make a run. Yeah, you know, I think that when you see St. Louis, just what they've done here in in the last few games, I would have expected a little bit more. You know, I would have expected more out of the the Boston Bruins, too. So are they taking for granted their entry into the Stanley Cup playoffs? Can they, as we talked about earlier, can can they turn it on? Not to say that St. Louis has been terrible, but... I was expecting more from them in the game against the Golden Knights. And, um, you know, can they figure it out? You know, maybe they can, and and they end up winning a series. And remember, best out of seven, I think the winner of a best of a seven is more deserving than a winner in a best of five. Crazy things happen in a best of five. We've gone through so many of the numbers over the years going back to the mid-80s when the NHL routinely had best-of-five series. Crazy things happen there. These round-robin games, you know, it wasn't a best-of-five. It was strictly three games. So maybe the Blues have a chance to figure things out over the course of a best-of-seven series. But I thought they would have been better against the Golden Knights than they were. Lawman, uh, who's in the most peril? Yeah, well, I I agree. For me, it's St. Louis. And we heard a ton during the pause that they didn't want to play. Their their leadership group didn't want to play. Apparently, 
Jonathan Taves and Sidney Crosby got on the phone with Alex Petrangelo at some point in time during the pause and said, hey, we got it. This is what's right for the game. We got to play. But, you know, we saw how invested the Golden Knights were and look where they are as a result of that. Um, I you have I have to question how invested the Blues. I'm sure they're invested now, but how invested were they during the pause? It's a great point. And will that have it? Will that have an effect? And Petrangelo, there's another factor for him too. Probably why yeah. he doesn't want to play. Yeah, UFA looking for his biggest contract of his career doesn't want to get not, hurt. And 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 the other side of it is the money's not going to be there, right? Like uh, he he might be able to go to a place that that has the money. But it's not going to be a contender. You know, he might be going to a place where he has to spend the next five years uh, losing. And and how much money is that worth? Um, the other team, uh, and I think there's going to be a furor in Montreal at some point in time. Because I think that uh, the bubble is going to burst for them against the Flyers. And, uh, and that'll be interesting. Elaine Vigneault and Mike Terrian, both former coaches of the Habs, going up against uh, Claude Julien's club. I think the Flyers are really good. Um, the combination of what Ron Hextall did uh, during his time in Philly and what Chuck Fletcher has done to kind of get them over the hump, they're scary. And when Toronto or Edmonton or Pittsburgh or whoever wins the lottery today. There will be people in Montreal that are complaining that this great next next young French-speaking superstar is they're not in the running form. And then when they get bounced in four or five by the Flyers, there will be, listen, there won't be the riots like the night that uh, Clarence Campbell suspended the rocket, but it won't be happy. <laughs> La Belle Province will be pouty. So it can never have everything. You win a playoff series, you should be happy, but you can't be happy because you can't be in the lottery for the French board. There you go. There (laughs) you go. The age is on Carey Price. You know, I've said this weeks ago, one of these teams that's not supposed to to go far, you know, will have, it's great, who knows, Carey Price could just say, I'm going to play the best hockey that I can, and that is going to be enough. Maybe it's not because I think you're right. Flyers have a pretty good goalie too. Yeah. Uh, so that could be that I could be the Philly overwhelming factor. Yeah, I, I would think so too. But that's I expect maybe to, it's I, ex- mo- I expect a sweep. Yeah, and it, it's whether it's Carey Price in Montreal or someplace else, just to see if there is a goalie that does something for a team that should not be advancing. But because of that goalie, whoever it is, maybe it's Corpusalo, you know, like somebody like that, yeah. too, uh, that could just take a team to a place that we didn't expect. I Mark hope Sherman. it's not Corey Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> Markstrom in, Mark in Vancouver is... Uh, is an interesting guy too. A lot of people have said that he should have garnered some uh, some some Vesna uh, noise, and he didn't. And I'll be honest, uh, Travis Green has got something cooking there. Vancouver's better than people think. Yeah, just uh, real quickly, am I in? I think in the East, you guys have touched on it. Uh, Tampa Bay, if their two best players are not part of it, uh, Boston, their top line didn't really produce didn't produce anything really in the round robin games. And then in the West, I, I look at Dallas. At least the game against Vegas, their best players, Sagan, Ben, Radulov, Garyanov, non-factors in the game. I think they combined for one shot among their among their best players. And I just wonder where the Blues are mentally. You know, they grind all the way out to a Stanley Cup last year. I know they've had this lengthy pause, but 
You know, Craig Berube said it uh, after the game against Vegas. Their intensity level has to come up in a big way if they're going to be where they need to be uh, come playoff time. So Another um, storyline in Dallas, Dave, to watch is if they do get bounced quick, uh, I you know, I think then the owner there, uh, Gallardi, will look long and hard at Rick Bonus, and I have to think that the number one guy to end up in Dallas or, or in the top three for sure is Gerard Gallant is on that list. Mm. Well, it'll be interesting, guys. Uh, we can't wait. Of course, uh, we'll have full coverage on the TVs, on the radios, of course. Uh, the schedule, and you, most of you probably know it, Game 1 starts uh, Tuesday night, 7.30. Game 2, Thursday, duck out of work early, uh, whatever, whether you're working for home or in the office, tell the boss Shane said it was fine. 2.30 game <laughs> on Thursday and then 5 o'clock on Saturday and 3.30 Sunday. It's a quick uh, quick turnaround back-to-back. So, uh, all right, boys. We're all uh, raring to go here after uh, the round robin, the Golden Knights and the Chicago Blackhawks. Stanley Cup playoffs, best of seven. We'll have it covered for you uh, on every uh, possible way, radio, TV, social media, uh, whatever your pleasure is. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next time on the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast. <laughs>